University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I bring greetings from the Alliance of Baptists, and the Alliance of Baptists is not yet a denominational partner of University Baptists, but as Adam has graciously said, there are some roots, some kinship, some connections. The Alliance of Baptists grew out of the Southern Baptist Convention. They split from them in 1987 over the issue of the ordination of women and later in 1992, the affirmation of people who were LGBTQ+. The Alliance is a global organization with reaches and partners in Africa, South America, Europe, Asia, and right here in the United States. And I've served them in this role as their co-executive director for a year and a half now. But I hope that as you move forward in your journey, in your life as a congregation, that you will consider learning more about the Alliance and what we seek to offer and do in the world with churches and people and individuals like you. Anyways, one of my teachers in divinity school told me that when someone invites you, even if it's your home church, do what they ask you to do. So I'm going to do what y'all ask me to do. Y'all want to have church this Sunday morning, so let us have church. Join me for a word of prayer. Oh, gracious God, we give thanks for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. We evoke your spirit in this place, oh God, as we get settled, as we journey from many places to be right here in the house of the Lord. God, we give thanks. We give thanks for all that you have given us, for the many blessings that have poured upon us. And so God, as we sit here today, we know that we are connected to a broader world, to a global people. So God, we pray for our brothers and sisters, our siblings all around the globe today. We lift up a special prayer for our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, in Syria, in Turkey, as they continue to struggle in the aftermath of a deadly earthquake. God, we pray for the more than 20,000 people who are presumed dead. God, we ask that you might comfort those who mourn and help to find relief for those who suffer. God, we pray for those who are the victims of war, the victims of violence, or the victims of famine. God, we pray for our own desires of our hearts. God, we pray for the meditations of our hearts, for the things that we carry, for only the things that we know, oh God. 
God, we pray for our family, for our friends, for our communities, for all the places and people that we are connected to. And God, we evoke your spirit into this place. Amen. Friends, hear these words from the gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread all around the country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came home to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, when he came home to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and then found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. Then he scrolled up and gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Initially, they were impressed. They loved it. But then he went on and he said, you would expect me to do miracles, but I cannot do that. And then he said, a prophet is not welcome in their home." I want to preach just for a few moments this morning on the subject in living color. He was adamant that he did not see race. No way he said that this could have been a racist situation. I'm the sweetest guy in the world. I don't have a racist bone in my body. And if anyone is racist, in fact, it's you, Elijah. You're racist. Because you brought this up. We could have settled our distances, our differences another way, but you made this a situation of black and white. This is a story that happened to me my senior year of high school at Catholic high right here down the street from us first semester the whole football team took PE together second semester we all had to take free enterprise class and given the dynamics of a southern American high school football team this particular classroom was interesting and on one particular day we all got in trouble because our teacher gave us a test and I don't know why, 
but he walked out the room after giving us the test. Now everybody, except me, honestly, cheated. I really didn't, and I'm not just saying this, because I'm standing here. And so after the test came back, the teacher graded our test, and he said, well, these tests look a bit fishy. And immediately one student said it was Rob, black kid who had gotten into some trouble before in our class. And in this version of the story, Rob was cheating and the other student said he was trying to stop him. And honestly, I was stunned. So I raised my hand and I said, actually, almost everyone cheated. Rob didn't start this, but Chris and everyone who accused Rob of doing this also cheated. And I continue, it's really messed up that y'all would throw Rob under the bus. And Chris responded, dude, I'm smart. I don't cheat. And Rob said, I mean, look at Rob. Doesn't he look like someone who cheats? So, there we sat in the principal's office now to get to the bottom of this. And honestly, y'all, we never did. Rob was suspended for cheating. Everyone had to retake the exam. And I was branded as the angry black guy for the rest of my time that semester. Adam, in her seminal work and groundbreaking text, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in an Age of Colorblindness, the law professor Michelle Alexander and writer for the New York Times argues that colorblindness and the idea that we have triumphed over race is in fact what holds our society together. Her work, though systematic and dense, vast and profound, far-reaching, so we need to hear just a little bit from her. She writes this, far from being a worthy goal, colorblindness, the ideas that we do not see race have proved catastrophic for African Americans. It is not an overstatement to say that the system of mass incarceration of people of color would literally have not been possible in the post-civil rights era if the nation had not fallen under the spell of colorblindness. The seemingly innocent phrase, I do not see race, isn't innocent at all. It's cruel because it's precisely that we have not seen the colors of so many people locked up in oppressive systems like our criminal justice system that we've missed its construction. We've become blind to the racial caste system. And this was true at Catholic high school in the late spring of 2007. And it's true today in February of 2020. 
23. I mean, it's true. As many states across the country, I don't know if that's the case here yet, are banning the teaching of black history as though African Americans have not contributed to the history of this society. It's true today that there is a racial caste system in our midst when we look at the prison industrial complex and the deplorable conditions even of our state penitentiary right here in Louisiana, which used to be a former warehouse for enslaved people. See, when we meet Jesus in our gospel today, we see that there is a direct line between what he is talking about and what Michelle Alexander is talking about and what I am talking about. Luke tells us that Jesus attended synagogue at his home church. And that a typical Saturday service in the Jewish tradition would have included a reading of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, a reading of 18 benedictions, a reading from the Psalms, a prayer of blessings, and then also a reading from the prophets. The synagogue attendant would have picked the scroll, but the preacher would have been free to pick the text. Luke emphasizes this when he writes that it was written to show that Jesus is the one that decides to read this text from Isaiah. Jesus is the one that wanted to preach it. Jesus is the one that wanted to expound upon it. Jesus is the one that wanted to use this to articulate his mission and vision in the world. Luke emphasizes this as he quotes Jesus reading the text, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. Jesus is using all of this me language to get a point across, to show what God sent him to do. Initially, probably because of his articulate and profound nature, no one disapproves of what he says. But the more he talks, the more he preaches, the people that he grew up with turn on him. And the scripture passage says they tried to push him out of town. Before I go on, I just want to say, isn't it funny how Jesus is threatened by the very people who helped him articulate his vision of himself? Isn't it funny that the people who probably shaped Jesus to become the type of person who would want to read that portion of Isaiah and order his life around it are now the same people who run him out of town? Isn't it funny how much trouble you can sometimes get in when you articulate your mission and your vision and the truth of who you are when you can finally say, this is who I am? 
University Baptist Church, I urge you to be the type of church that remains open to the work that God will do in the future. I urge you to be the type of church that follows up with the children that you proclaim the good news of God to. So that as they go off into the world and try to imagine the same vision of God, that they won't find themselves alone and on an island. University Baptist Church, I urge you to be the types of people who help to cultivate and say yes to the voice of God that we find inside of ourselves. I resonate with Jesus on this text. You know, every single time I have the opportunity to come back and preach here, I always say yes because I love talking to you all. And I'm always very nervous because of the places that I have grown to and have gone to and have seen and the things that now inform my vision. I feel Jesus because I think the gospel urges us to preach good news to the poor, to the oppressed. See, Jesus really is the model here. He reinterprets scripture that they know well, and he gives it new meaning. He adds universal significance to a particular moment. He challenges their parochialism and seeks to expand their theological imagination. Jesus was saying to them, look, I'm coming to free you, but not just you, also Judea, also Palestine, also Samaria. I'm coming to free all those who are exploited, all those who are oppressed. I'm coming to do what Mary sang about, what Zechariah preached about. I'm coming for, to bring good news to the poor and good news to all who are in bondage and good news to all who are impressed, oppressed. I'm trying to make some space for the vision of God with Dr. King called the beloved community. But in order to do the beloved community, there has to be room that is made, there has to be space that is made so that many different types of people can co-exist. See, this is the heart, I believe, of the gospel. And this is the heart, I believe, of Jesus' ministry and teaching. that we gotta make space for us to all truly be together. That we gotta make space for us to truly see each other, that we gotta make space to see beyond our own pain and beyond our own lives and beyond our own lens and see the world in someone 
else's shoes. Jesus spoke to his home church that day because he needed them to see the underclass in their midst. He needed them to see, as Dr. King would say, those struggling in an airtight cage of poverty. He needed them to see that they were not the only ones in the world and that for too long they had been blind to the colors of their neighbors and the colors of their neighbor's pain and the colors of their neighbor's suffering. Jesus was asking them to see the world in living color. To notice the faces of the marginalized and hear the pitches of the cries of the oppressed. To feel the veins and the wounded of those bloodied and, and, and victims of oppression. Jesus was trying to get them to see the world as it is so that they could create the world as it ought to be. University Baptist Church, I know that this is important to you to see the world as it is, for I know that you have a conscience about the suffering of people. And as you continue to, 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 to care about the suffering of people, I urge you to see the suffering of people in all of the color, in all of the fullness, in all of the flesh that they carry. I understand that you all are in an interim period that you're looking for a new pastor, that you're questioning what is the identity of the church. Well, if I can add my two cents to this as someone who grew up here in this church, I would only ask you, I would only urge you, I would only suggest to you that you continue to expand upon your vision of what it means to be church in the world. That you see the world in living color, that you hear the pitches of those who are oppressed, that you feel the wounds, that you get close, as Brian Stevenson has argued, to those who suffer. See, every opportunity for change is an opportunity for transformation, and you all have an opportunity for transformation. I was reading the website over the week, and I noticed that you all put that you are people who like to critically think. And I love that, and I think I learned how to critically think from so many of the professors and the lawyers and the teachers in this space. And I think as critical thinkers, it's critical that you exegete the world around us, that we ask deeper questions about how conditions have come to be. I think Jesus is urging the church back at Nazareth, and I think Jesus is urging us today do this, to see the world in living color. University Baptist Church, can you see the world in living color? You know, Jesus' question for his congregation was too hard. They couldn't see the world as it was, so they couldn't be a part of making it what it could be. We have to see the world as it is so we can make it what it should be. One commentator, and I'm almost done. I know y'all got some Mardi Gras to do. One commentator said that the reason they couldn't see the world as it was so that they could be a part of making it what it could be is because inside of that synagogue, there was a struggle over how to read scripture. Would they read it as they always had read it? Or would they read it 
through a new lens and a new light that Jesus placed before them. Would they read scripture that included the suffering of those below and outside and on the margins of their system, or were they content there? Would they read scripture in living color? Would they hear Isaiah's voice and the voices of the poor and the voices of the oppressed and the voices of the indebted and the voices of the enslaved, the voices of those people bound and living in their midst? Where would they fall in this struggle over scripture and this struggle over the possibilities of liberation in the world? And perhaps I stopped by on this Sunday morning to tell you, I'd rather to ask you, University Baptist Church, where do you stand in this struggle over how we read scripture? There are too many churches in Baton Rouge and too many churches in Louisiana and too many churches in the country that read scripture narrowly so that it excludes. We need way more churches to read scripture expansively and inclusively and open-mindedly and critically. See, I'm done, y'all. But I got to know, how do you read scripture? How do you exegete the world? How do you see the world and the possibilities of the world and the possibilities of yourself in the world? See, I think that was the point of Jesus standing before his home to church, to argue to them, to articulate to them, to try to teach them about the meaning of his movement, a meaning that I believe partially informed by what you taught me, that the fundamental point of Christianity, that the fundamental point of gathering here is to recharge so that we can go out and do the work that helps to free humans from bondage economic and political and social and psychological and intellectual and theological and also spiritual. But I think the point that Jesus is saying fundamentally is that Christianity ought to be about freeing people from bondage. And to do that, we got to see the world as it is. We have to see the world in living color. We have to hear the pitches, the accents, the vernacular, the sounds of those who are oppressed. Only then, when we read scripture and practice Christianity, and see the world in living color, that I believe that we will be able to see God because our God is in living color. We used to sing a song in vacation Bible school saying God's got the whole world in God's hand. The whole world. That's a living color song. We used to sing a song in vacation Bible school saying, Jesus loves the little children of the world, all the children, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's a living color song. 
We used to sing in Church of the Nations, yes, Jesus loves me in French, in Chinese, in Swahili. That's a living color song. So University Baptist Church, as you go off to continue to be great and do good work in this world, I urge you to not forget the living color songs, to see the world in living color, to know that you are part of a living color world because your God, too, is in living color. 